Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of the All of You Whole podcast, hosted by me, Caroline Fossil, entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and speaker. My goal is to help you build a healthy, connected, and intentional life that fulfills your greatest purpose. Go ahead and hit that pause button and then the plus button to subscribe to this show so you get more impactful content each and every week. We would also love it if you would leave a five-star rating and review. This helps people you and I don't even know find the show. And lastly, please share an episode you love with whoever you can. Sharing is caring, and that's how we continue to grow. And as always, I am forever grateful for your support. Hey friends, today on the show, we are chatting with one of my best friends in the entire world and my neighbor, Alyssa Lazinski. We both have neurodivergent kids with ADHD, and so we are chatting about all of the ins and outs of that. And I love that Alyssa has just tried basically everything that I know about to help her daughter function optimally and feel her best. And so we're going to chat about all of those things that she's tried. And we're going to focus in on what they've tried recently, which is neurofeedback and neurostimulation. So this is a great conversation. And I hope that if you have a neurodivergent kiddo, this conversation is helpful for you. Welcome to the show, Alyssa. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, guys. So this is one of my very best friends in the whole world, Alyssa. And I'm wondering, Alyssa, if you would like to share the story of how we met. (laughs) Yes. So we moved to our home here like a month before COVID hit. So naturally, we knew nobody. And we were going for a family walk one day and we saw these people who were like, hey, friends, you look like you might be our age. And look, our kids look like they might be the same age. <laughs> She's talking Why about don't me. I put all my contact information in your phone and give me your contact information <laughs> and your kids' birthdays and let's be best friends forever. That's how so, it happened, guys. And it worked. Yeah, my evil yeah. plan worked. And now we're best friends and it's great. <laughs> but guys, here's the deal. Every introvert is just looking for an extrovert to assault them. That's the moral of the story. Okay, so Alyssa, tell us a little bit about who you are. Who I am. Okay, I am currently a stay-at-home mom. I used to work as a PA, and since retiring slash leaving to stay home with my babies, I have fallen out of love with Western medicine. Yeah. It's the short story. It has its place and it has a lot of good things, but it's not my first go-to these days. So yes. Yeah. So, yes. And we're so, the same in that for sure. So one thing that Alyssa and I share is we both have daughters with ADHD. Also, we both probably have ADHD. Alyssa's diagnosed. I am undiagnosed, but we feel very (laughs) strongly that I probably have it. So Alyssa, share with us a little bit about what that journey has been like for you, having a daughter with ADHD. And then also too, before we dive into what we're mainly going to talk about, which is neurofeedback, neurostimulation, I would also love to hear what are some of the things that you have tried? to help your daughter with ADHD. And I know there are a lot of things. All the things. (laughs) Right. So we always knew our daughter was a spicy one. (laughs) Probably from when she was one year old. I very specifically remember her when she would get upset throwing these 
mini tantrums because she was small. If she was sitting on the carpet, she would just throw herself backwards and start having a fit. But if she was on like the hardwood floor, she would very slowly lay herself down so she didn't hurt herself and then start throwing a fit. So we're like, this yeah. seems intentional. <laughs> yeah, for so sure. That's, we always say she's been big in everything she does. She feels everything huge. She loves big. She's so joyful, but yeah. also has a lot of big negative emotions. She also has sensory processing disorder. So that's where it all started. We've done a couple rounds of occupational therapy for that. And during kind of the second round, when we do occupational therapy, we go into this gym and she's trying to regulate her body and she's swinging and climbing and basically looking like a five-year-old member of Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. And the therapist was like, oh, maybe we should consider that she might have ADHD. And I was Mm. like, really? I had no idea. And she was saying, oh yeah, her actions are very impulsive. And I had never thought that because she's always very safe and controlled in her big actions. But then looking at it, I was thinking, oh, that could be it. So yeah, we pursued that after reading more about it. And a lot of people, I think ADHD is hyperactive boys. And yeah, you know, for sure. our daughter is a hyperactive girl, but she's a gymnast and yeah. just seemed normal. She's for strong sure. and she's safe. So it didn't seem out of the norm for us. Yeah. But we pursued it after learning more about the mental part of it and not just the hyperactivity, like the emotional dysregulation, the impairment and executive functioning. And we said, oh, that, that looks like it could be real. So she was seven in first grade and we took her to get this whole neuropsychiatric evaluation where the therapist met with myself and my husband met with our daughter as well. Also met with our daughter's school teacher and her occupational therapist just to get a really full intensive picture because symptoms of ADHD are so varied and they can look like so many other things. So they wanted to look at anxiety, depression, learning differences, auditory and visual processing disorders, all the things Yeah, and came up with essentially ADHD in which she is physically hyperactive, but also her brain is very hyperactive Mm. and she can take in so much more information than she can process. Yeah. Which explains a lot of her sensory things as well. Yeah. We would always say, just put on socks with your shoes and eventually after a couple of minutes, your body won't notice it anymore and it'll be fine. And then after realizing this, oh no, she has this constant input. Hmm. Her body never gets used to it. Oh yeah. And that's how she's living with everything with sounds and information and touch and smells and Mm. all the things. So yes, super overwhelming. It was, but it was really fabulous when we said, oh my gosh, this makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Now we understand how your brain works. We're so sorry we didn't notice earlier, but thank goodness we did this. She was seven, like I said, when she got diagnosed and through this journey with all the learning about different nuances of ADHD, then Mm -hmm. I kept thinking to myself, Oh, that's me. Oh, that's me. Oh, that's me. Which (laughs) led to my diagnosis a couple of years ago. So I'm very thankful to be getting her tools and help from a young age. I think it will help her to be so much more successful. So that's the beginning. And then since then we've done all the things, literally everything. 
Yeah. And been really willing to try things that seem outside of our comfort zone or go against Mm. our parenting ideals. Obviously every person says, Oh, when I'm going to have kids, I'm going to be this type of parent. And then then you laugh hysterically. Oh, I'm sure I did the same thing. Like I'm never, ever going to use screens. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that lasted. Really long. Yeah, a couple years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When and also too, I think something that's so interesting about medicine in general is that symptoms a lot of times, a lot of the research is done on boys or men mm-hmm. and not on women or girls. And so Symptoms can be very different in girls than in boys. So Mm -hmm. what we might think of as ADHD, we might actually be thinking how it presents in a boy rather than maybe how it presents in a girl. And then also, too, something that I learned about ADHD is that there's a bunch of different kinds of ADHD. So Ella has combined ADHD, but you can be hyperactive ADHD or what's the other one? Inattentive. Inattentive ADHD, yep. Mm-hmm. Or combined. So Ella's combined, mm-hmm. but you can be one or the other, and that can look different. So there's just like a whole vast array of ways that it can manifest. And the same is true. I have a friend whose daughter might be on the autism spectrum. And when her therapist said that, she was so shocked. Wait, what? And then the Mm -hmm. therapist said, it's because it manifests so differently in girls than in boys. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. all you've ever seen or heard about is in boys. That's something to consider. But I'd also love to hear about the specific test that you were talking about that you guys did because it was so thorough and it looked for everything. Whereas with Ella, we basically went to a psychiatrist, filled out some forms and she was like, yeah, totally has ADHD. Here's her medication. But tell us more about this test and why you felt like it was so critical. Because I have a medical background and I really wanted to be sure this is what we were dealing with if we were going to be treating her with medication, which I didn't love, but very soon realized, wow, she's not going to be able to learn any tools if her brain is on fire. Yeah, for sure. We will do anything for her to have a little peace because learning the coping skills and tools, that's that's a very long journey. Yeah. Not something a seven-year-old can learn overnight. Right. We did this evaluation, which yes, looked at a lot of things, mainly because when you just go to your pediatrician, which we considered doing, and we actually did just to speak with them. And they're the ones that actually recommended this larger evaluation because they have, most of them, I think essentially have one form. It's 20 or so questions. And like we said, a lot of other diagnoses mimic similar behaviors. Right. So these... And granted, this form is a guide. The more boxes you check off, the more likely it is that you could have ADHD and it's to be used in conjunction with other information. I just wasn't convinced that just our pediatrician would have enough information to look at other things. And at the time, I'm not a psychiatrist or anything like that. So I wanted to be sure with what we were doing, if we were going to go the medication route and figure out the best way to help her. So It was actually our pediatrician that recommended this neuropsychiatric evaluation. Mm. And I think that they had it at our local children's hospital and it it was a two-year wait list. And I was like, someone's going to be severely hurt if we have to wait that long myself or 
our daughter, yeah. we found this private person that our pediatrician had recommended. And oh, we wow. just thought it was really impressive. Trauma can mimic ADHD. Anxiety and depression can mimic yes. ADHD, yes. particularly in girls and women. Mm-hmm. Anxiety and depression are concurrent with ADHD. So teasing out what exactly is going on would determine how we help her. Yeah. So I think it was more just from my medical background that I wanted a more intensive and specific diagnosis so that we know what we're dealing with. Because I think a lot of mental health issues manifest, like you were saying, so differently between boys and girls, children and adults, even person to person with a similar diagnosis. And yeah, we just really wanted to make sure or as sure as we could be what we were dealing with so that we could be the most effective going forward. And I feel like the way that we went about it, it's not that it's necessarily bad, but basically our question going into it was, does Ella have ADHD or not, right? Which Mm -hmm. is a fine question and she definitely needed to be medicated and Alyssa and Mm -hmm. I share beliefs on that too, just like Mm -hmm. this was crucial for her. But I love your question, which was essentially, we wanna know everything that's going on, right? Especially if you're not feeling sure that it's ADHD or you feel like it could be ADHD and Mm -hmm. something else, whether it's a mental issue or whatever, it really covers the gamut of everything because you treat those combinations very differently than just one thing. So yeah, if you're feeling, I guess listeners, if you're feeling like you have a very complex situation from a behavioral standpoint, the huge neuropsychiatric evaluation can be helpful to catch maybe some other things. Okay, so we've mentioned sensory issues a little bit. Would you say that was like the first thing you noticed or maybe not? Yes. Yeah. So explain to, I remember I had no idea about sensory issues until maybe like eight years ago. Like I just, I don't know. Do you feel like we were easy kids? Like I just, I didn't have any friends with sensory (laughs) issues. Like I feel like all of my friends' kids have something or other, whereas growing up, I don't remember that. So I didn't know about sensory issues. So describe to us what that's like. Yeah, I think... Yes, I think our parents had it easier or different. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I feel like I have all the things our daughter has, but mm. on a smaller scale yeah. to where I could cope on my own. And as an adult, I've just, I've had a long time of practicing. Right. right. So for her sensory issues, hers are very tactile, meaning things that are touching her. And a lot of people will say, oh, my kid doesn't like tags and Yes. I also hate tags. I cut all of them out immediately. Yeah. And that's fair and valid. There's again, a a very big range. Hers is just on more of the extreme where she doesn't like tags. She doesn't like buttons, zippers, seams, anything tight, anything of scratchy material. Sometimes she doesn't like too soft of material. A lot of kids' shirts have those kind of iron-on embellishments. Yeah. If that was too thick, she wouldn't wear those. She socks, doesn't, shoes. She doesn't like socks. She doesn't like shoes. And it varies season to season. It yeah. was. I remember season changes were very challenging. She's getting better. Summer into winter was hard because layers of fabric are rubbing up against each other. Then on top of her skin was terrible. So she does not love wearing coats or layers, which in Colorado you need. And then transitioning from cooler weather back into summer, now she's hot and sweaty and 
doesn't like that feeling. So it was always something. Yeah. And the sensory combined with the ADHD, which again, often go together, but not always yeah. made it just really hard for her brain to be able to cope in a way that we ever learned how to parent a kid that way. And even with the occupational therapy, that's initially how we started with these sensory mm-hmm. issues was helpful. Most of the exercises that we did at home was to do like deep pressure regulation. They call it like heavy work or um, joint compressions, things that basically Mm. stimulate the deep pressure sensors and receptors in your body to help Mm. soothe and regulate. And then also desensitizing. So just like constant, like brushing your skin and you know, exposing to different things, which she actually hated a lot of, and it just made it worse. Yeah. It ended I can up imagine. being yeah. really challenging. And that's one thing we've kind of just had to let go of. Thankfully, we're in a financial situation where we're able to get her new things if right. she needs it every three months, which is infuriating. But it you keeps do what her you from, do. Yeah. from being so overwhelmed and having her brain be on fire. Totally, totally. Okay, so let's get into neurofeedback and neurostimulation, Mm -hmm. which is the latest things that you guys have tried. Mm -hmm. So how did you first find out about neurofeedback? Like we talked about, we've done occupational therapy, we've done regular therapy, we found this great therapist who has worked with our daughter, also worked with my husband and I in parent coaching, which has been one of the most helpful things in us kind of reevaluating our parenting goals and expectations. Right. But yes, we've done all the therapies off and on with medications and everyone has highs and lows. And it was to a point where the lows were getting lower and she was frustrated and we were frustrated and just feeling heartbroken for her and how it must feel inside her brain. So just constantly asking different people, anyone who may have had a similar experience, talking a lot with our therapist and just a lot of Googling What have we not tried outside of all the books in the world have helpful strategies, but we also came to a point where we realized it is what it is. This is not going to change overnight where we used to have a mentality, like what can we do to help her and fix this right now? Right. Which is just puts a lot of pressure on everybody. But looking at the neurostimulation and the neurofeedback, I really loved that it was obviously like a more natural approach in the sense that it's not putting chemicals into your body. Mm. And again, not opposed to that for short term, but I don't feel like that fixes the problem, right? It just helps manage symptoms. So we wanted something that would be long lasting. So tell us what neurofeedback is for those. So neurofeedback and neurosimulation are very similar in the sense that they help your brain kind of remap and reform neural pathways to be more neurotypical and more functional so that a person can function in a a more typical way. So like with our daughter, we initially started targeting some sensory areas, knowing that her sensory dysfunction was very linked to her mood and Mm. ability to have control over her executive functioning and decision making and thought process. So we thought, okay, this is a tangible thing we can work towards. We've since kind of shifted focus, but it has helped. It's helped her be able to tolerate different clothing and be more willing to try things. But I really love the idea that it actually changes the neural pathways and connections in your brain. We actually just spoke with our therapist the other day because right now she is doing neurostimulation 
which at the beginning they will do a qualitative EEG, I believe, yeah. to look at the brain and say, so what's cool. happening here? Which brain waves are too high or too low? Like our daughter has a lot of the slow brain waves. They've explained it to us as trying to think through mud. And also, mm-hmm. so a lot of messages because it's so slow there are not getting through. And so it just causes a lot of like overfiring because the message yes. isn't getting through and causes her brain to just be on fire. Right. So with the neurostimulation is more of a passive experience where you can sit and they, after doing the brain map, they look at what areas of the brain they want to target and different protocols. If you need more of this brain wave or that, and it helps your brain reset its background noise, essentially, and introducing the brain waves so your brain can become more accustomed to that is how it was explained to me recently, Yeah, which has been really helpful Yeah, with the idea that we would eventually transition to neurofeedback where you are connected. Like right now during her neurostimulation, she is connected to electrodes and she gets this electrical stimulation to her brain. And it's through a helmet? We've gone to two different clinics. One, it was like a a fabric cap with kind of electrodes Uh, on it. And here it's just, they've got four electrodes and this is her situation and they place some loop in her hair Oh, and and it just goes straight on. So she loves this one because she doesn't have to wear the cap because as a sensory kid, you can imagine she didn't love that, Yeah, but it's more of a passive, just direct introduction of this different brainwaves and things like that. Whereas the neurofeedback, you do still wear the sensors, but that's more just measuring what's happening in the brain. And there's lots Mm. of different ways. We haven't done this with her yet, but I've had it explained. And this, the neurofeedback, your brain has to do it on its own. So Mm. so the neurostimulation is riding a bike with training wheels, your brain's learning. And then neurofeedback switches to when you can ride on your own with no training wheels, your brain has to do it on its own so that it's more solidified going forward. Yeah. So there's different programs. Like I've heard where some people, you can watch a TV show on the screen. And when your brain it's like the, it fades and it gets darker and smaller and harder to see. But when your brain does the thing that it's supposed to do, your brain gets a reward. Yeah. That's so so, cool. You know, it it takes some time. And why we started with the neurostimulation first is because it would be really frustrating for her brain to try to do these things because her brain doesn't know how to do that. It's it's life not functioning that way. (laughs) Poor little brain. (laughs) I know. So that would just, it would not set her up for success. So doing the neurostimulation kind of helps reset and introduce a lot of kind of the the more calming background noise to the brain. And eventually we will switch to the neurofeedback where her brain will learn to do what it's supposed to do all on its own. Like I was saying for her case, uh, she's got an excess of slower brain waves. Mm -hmm. So likely they will want her brain to learn to pump out more like higher frequency brain waves to counteract that. And I have no idea how that would actually work, but I think, right. you know, it's your so brain's hooked up to this thing. Yeah. And when it does it, your brain gets a, re- you get a reward and then your right. brain says, Oh, okay. Now I can do this yeah. more and more. And so learning to do it on its own. Another thing that I love about this is it's mostly permanent. I think there are obviously exceptions and our daughter right now is 10. So likely going through puberty and hormonal shifts Mm -hmm. and, you know, with age, 
she might need some kind of touch-ups or whatever you want to call it. But for the most part, it should have permanent changes, which is is, like a miracle. Yeah. Yes. And yes. And we're seeing a lot of small improvements, but for her brain, it's really big for her. She has a historically a very low frustration tolerance, meaning she gets very angry, very frustrated, very annoyed at the smallest things. And with this treatment, we're noticing now something annoying happens and she can either brush it off, right? doesn't bother her at all, which is amazing. Or she might get annoyed. She might get frustrated. She gets a little worked up, but she can now recognize that she's frustrated and say, oh, instead of her brain just losing control, right. her brain can be like an active participant in helping right. to re-regulate. And now, like my husband put it the other day, I think I told you where her reaction is starting to match the size of the problem. Right. That's something we've told her for so long. Your reaction, this huge blow up because I gave you the wrong color cup or whatever. That right. The size of your reaction does not match the size of the problem. And now it, it's starting to. Yeah, that's so just, huge feels so much more appropriate and she's handling things in a a way that is more mature and more typical for her age of being able to handle things. And honestly, probably more at this point because she's had so much therapy and learned so many tools and coping strategies. But when your brain freaks out and like you've described it before, like she doesn't have control in that moment. Now that this neurostimulation is working for her, when she has the control, it's like she has this whole tool belt full of all Mm -hmm. these tools she's been learning, and now she can actually start to use them, right? Which is so huge. Yes, because we've talked before too about how when you have a neurodivergent child, a lot of times they need a lot of extra help and co-regulation, meaning the parent has to help regulate them. And it's not typical for their age. So, you know, the way that you would have to help a toddler or a preschooler through a problem feels very frustrating to do when your child is eight or 10 years old. Right. And we've come to accept that and learned a lot of ways to help co-regulate with her. But the fact that she's starting to be able to regulate on her own is amazing and gives us so much hope for her future and being able to go out into the world and an amazingly successful human. Yeah, totally. Okay, so listeners, quick Google search. You can use neurofeedback. So neurofeedback, neurostimulation is essentially, like Alyssa said, it's altering the way that your brain is functioning. So as you can imagine, it can be helpful for a lot of things like anxiety and depression, PTSD, ADHD, like we mentioned, even insomnia and sleep problems, behavior disorders, OCD, even brain injuries and seizures. So it can be used for a lot of different things and your psychiatrist if you have one should be able to let you know if it should work for your situation or i'm sure you can find a clinic near you to do even the brain map i've had a few friends do this either for themselves or their children and even if you do not pursue the actual treatment. Even just the information that you get from that initial brain scan, brain map, even that alone with a consultation, which typically comes with it, can be really helpful. Okay, Alyssa, my final question for you is, what message do you have for someone who has a neurodivergent child? Do you have any encouragement? 
yes, I think we're at a place where we actually have some hope and can offer encouragement. I would say just keep fighting for your child, keep pursuing things. What really helped my husband and I, like I said earlier, is just understanding this is how they are. There's likely not a miracle pill or treatment that in and of itself is going to work wonders and change your child overnight. Right. I think accepting that gives a lot of freedom. We can release our expectations and our anxieties that we need to fix this right now. Yeah. And when you focus more on the long term, I think mm-hmm. it helps us to be calm in the situation, yeah. which again helps co-regulate your child. Right. But there are so many different options out there and you'll likely need to pick and choose from different mm-hmm. pieces, but there's so many amazing things out there and so much new research too around neurodivergent yeah. kids and just the incredible way that their brains work and how they can function. And they're so creative and passionate yeah. and they're going to be amazing humans. And yeah. a parent coaching is another thing that I think is really helpful to yes. help reframe your expectations and the way you relate to your child. But doing those kind of things, I think just continue to fight for your child and don't stop pursuing options and you know your kid best if something's not working you know that you don't have Mm -hmm. to feel bad about switching and trying something new yeah but there's so many ways to help and encourage and see that there can be a hope for their future that is potentially more in line with what you'd initially dreamed it's still there we're just getting there a different route than we planned on. <laughs> we just got to go find it. No, that's so yeah. good. Okay. So let me ask you the question I ask everybody at the end of the podcast. So when you're at the end of your life and you're looking back, what does a successful life look like to you? Oh gosh, you've told me this before. Too, I've asked you this. I don't know that I, I remember what you said. Oh, what did I say? I'm not going to tell you. You have to remember it. <laughs> I'm sure I'll say something different. Okay. I think a successful life would be just having positive relationships with everybody that I come into contact with and just showing love and kindness yeah. to everybody that we meet. And I think at the end of your life, hopefully you'll be able to see the ripple effect where is now yeah. as a parent of young kids, like you're in the thick of it. You don't see that. But when you're older, yeah. hopefully you can see that you've loved your kids right. and then they love their friends and they love their kids and it just spreads. Mm. And I just think that that can be life changing for so many people. Yes. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us today. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alyssa, for being on the show and for being willing to share your journey with your daughter's ADHD with us. I know there will be someone who listens who will find something that you said that they will be able to take action on to help either themselves or one of their children. So thanks so much for being here. Listeners, thank you for listening. I hope that if you heard something that was new to you or that you might want to try, that you find a practitioner in your area who can do neurostimulation, neurofeedback, or even maybe you're wanting to try parent coaching now after Alyssa shared how helpful that has been for them. So take action on something that you heard on today's episode, and I will see you next week. 